This is a personal and private recording by an ex-member of the U.S. Air Force. Codename, Darkwater. Case File 1. Designated, Stonefall. Log 6. It was the same voice as before. A child, deep in the woods, calling out my name. I couldn't work out whether it was a boy or a girl. Whether it might be Martha, calling for my help, or even Johnny. I scrambled up the bank that I had collapsed onto and powered through the thick of the trees. I would go some distance, and then the voice would change direction. Within a matter of minutes, I was completely disoriented. In a brief moment of clarity, I checked for the torch that I'd taken from the sheriff's station, but I didn't have it any longer. I could have left it on the bank, or in the square, or even in the town hall. My instincts weren't for my own survival. I felt that I had been completely consumed by this town, and willing to go wherever it led me. The voice called my name again, and I followed it back out to the river. This time I was further along it than before, close to the crossing that led to the other side of the woods. I could see the outline of something thick and heavy, a great block of shadow in the center of the trees ahead. As I got closer, I realized what it must be. Elias Brazel's home. I hadn't seen it since the fire. It was a sunken figure. Its roof had fallen in, its walls collapsed in on themselves. I reached out and felt the scorched and rotted wood. Some of it was still a little damp from the rainfall that we'd had on the night Martha had returned. The voices calling me had fallen silent. Had I reached where I was meant to go? With only moonlight to guide me, I peered inside the ruins, wondering if I might find any information here. I wondered even if that was where Razel had come, after being taken by the hands in the house on the hill. I couldn't comprehend how little there was left of this man's life. This is what the fear of the outsider had done. And Brazel may have been clever, he may have known the truth the town refused to know all along, but as I stood in the ruins of his home, I remembered the man I'd first met. The madman of Massachusetts. Sure, when I saw him again at the house on the hill, he may have put on a suit and slicked back his hair, but I had seen his wound. Still fresh. The damage inflicted on him was real. That was what the brainwashing was turning these kids into. People who would set a man and his home alight for fear of where he may have come from, of the truth he may hold. And it was a truth that maybe they had known deep down as well. I knew in that moment what I was going to do. I had delayed long enough in taking any action, and it was time to send this town a final message. I collected what I needed from the woods. I heard no more voices as I made my way back toward the town, walking along the river to guide my way. I wonder if that was because whoever I had heard knew what I was going to do. 
I took their silence as approval. The night was pitch black when I arrived back in the center of the town. Clouds had covered the moon. Streetlights led my way to my destination. As I went, I walked past the sheriff's station and looked back up the road that led to Martha's house. Was I doing this despite the sheriff? Was I doing it as some kind of justice for Martha? How could I be so sure that my actions wouldn't have repercussions for her? I suppose I should have also considered some kind of escape plan for myself. I don't know why I didn't. Perhaps I was resigned to whatever my fate would be. Perhaps I was so sick of what I considered to be my own inaction, my own failings, that whatever the consequences were, I would just have to deal with them. Would I have time to get out? Maybe. Would I have time to save Martha? I wasn't stupid enough to think that my actions were going to stop the town, but it wasn't about that. It felt about time that an outsider stood up to them, told them what they were doing was wrong. Their trauma was unspeakable, but it was no excuse for perpetuating hurt on the children that lived there. I only had one part of my plan left to work out, and it came from an unlikely source. When I reached the town hall, Louise Finch was waiting for me. I saw the lights. I hoped you had, too. She saw what I was carrying and said nothing for some time. I thought that it was probably out of disapproval, but I realized then that she was crying. She came up to me and hugged me so tightly that it was difficult not to drop the broken pieces of wood I'd carried back with me. She whispered in my ear. She told me that she wished she had had the strength. I felt her slip something into my pocket, and she walked back into the night. It was the last thing I needed. I went into the town hall and started by clearing a space in the center of the room. I shoved the chairs to the side of the room, pushing and kicking them, not caring what noise I was making. Maybe I hoped someone would stop me. I laid down the wood I had collected in the center of the hall. Then I went into the room at the back of the stage and brought out the boxes. It must have taken me 15, 20 minutes to lug everything out that I needed. When they were piled up where I needed them to be, I ripped down the curtains from the stage and threw them on top of the pile. I pulled down the newspapers that covered the windows. I didn't know how well this was going to work, and I wanted people to see everything they could. I folded up some of the chairs and threw them on as well. Anything that could help, I guess. I'd laid aside the bottles of spirits that I found in the boxes and took a swig of one of them. Five minutes later, I made my way outside, stopping in the doorway. It was a brisk night. There was a breeze, and I could hear the wind through the trees. I took a look out to the town, and then from the doorway, I looked back into the town hall at the pyre I'd created. I raised the last bottle of alcohol with copies of newspapers stuffed into its neck. Taking the lighter that Louise Finch had given me and flicking the flame onto the paper, I watched as it quickly engulfed. I could feel the heat. 
No going back now. I pulled my arm back and threw the flame onto the bonfire. And the fire caught quickly. The alcohol I'd splashed around did its job. I watched as more and more flames caught, building and building until the bonfire was engulfed. The heat was immense. I didn't move from the doorway at first, wanting to watch. This was all their records, all their history going up in smoke. Every Friday session they'd never mentioned in their diary, all the gaps they had never wanted to fill. The silence that had suffocated the kids in this town was burning. I knew that there would be a cover-up, that there would be lies, that I would be scapegoated. I didn't care. The people who needed to would know why I had started this fire. The boards on the ceiling began to catch. They peeled and cracked in the heat. The flames started to spread away from the bonfire across the floor. They caught on object after object, things I hadn't really thought they would ever reach. The fire was getting closer to the sealed cupboards at the back of the room. I could hear the windows begin to creak and buckle in the heat. It was time for me to go. Taking one last look at the ravaging flames, I turned around, feeling their heat on my neck. Then I saw someone running towards me out of the dark, shouting at me through the gloom. It was a deputy I'd seen earlier that day. He was swearing at me, asking me what I'd done. I said nothing, kept walking. He went past me to the town hall and I could hear him saying something frantically, a word repeated over and over. I didn't register it at first. I saw people from the town coming from their houses starting to gather. I was quite far away from the town hall when I eventually looked back and saw just what I'd done. The smoke was billowing through the roof, the doorway. The orange blaze filled the windows and sent them shattering into pieces. It lit up the night. In some ways, I thought it was magnificent. I might have smiled. The deputy was backing away from the hall, but he was still shouting, repeating the same word. He started to run. He was waving at the gathering crowds to get back. And I realized the word he had been shouting. Gasoline. He started running at me. I could see the fear in his eyes, even from my distance away. And then the town hall exploded. <laughs> Wood and brick and stone and glass went everywhere, engulfed as it was torn apart by the flames. None of the building escaped the ferocity of the blast. It knocked me to the ground, sent the deputy flying forward. The people watching cautiously from a distance cowered, covered themselves. And when I sat back up again and felt the indescribable heat, I remembered what my dad had said about the bomb, about the danger of one person having so much power, of being able to cause so much damage. I wondered about the person that had knocked on the door of the house on the hill, that had left the film for me to watch. I thought of the voices calling out for me in the woods. 
Would they be proud of what I had done? I looked to see Louise Finch standing very innocently, very calmly beside the other residents. I desperately wanted her to meet my eye, but she didn't. And then I saw the sheriff. He walked past the crowd and glanced only briefly at the inferno. Then he came straight over to me. I got up, dusted myself down. He looked at me strangely, and I couldn't work out if it was sadness or anger, or simply that he wasn't surprised at all. He had said to me in his office that there was only so much he could do. Well, I'd done more. I'd done better. And I felt he should be grateful. He said no words as he cuffed my hands behind my back and led me towards the station. Stonefall returns for six more episodes later this year. Stonefall was created and written by James Mortimer. It is read and co-developed by Rebecca Malewish. Music by Kevin MacLeod at incompetechfilmmusic.io, licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the description for a full list of tracks used. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Stonefall Drama. <laughs>